You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, uh, IBI contributor, uh, senior IBI contributor. That's right, uh, they got a little bit of a hierarchy change here at the site, and which we'll discuss uh, momentarily as I introduce my co-host, but this is the first spring training uh, Smoke Signals podcast, and also I believe the first of 2019. I don't think we've been on the air since uh, before the new year, so uh, happy new year to all you out there, and happy new baseball season to you, to all our listeners, and also to my co-host. Uh, also introducing the uh, new editor-in-chief for IBI, uh, also joining us on the podcast tonight to discuss the offseason and the spring training storylines, uh, Justin Lada. Justin, how's it going? It is going okay. I, w- I wanted to say fantastic, but we're going to keep it okay. My my enthusiasm is is tempered both professionally and as an Indians fan or writer. But we're back. That's a good thing, right? It is a good thing. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> baseball is returning to our lives, which means warm weather will be coming soon as we record this. Uh, it's been a frigid day here in Northeast Ohio. And, uh, yeah, we're... We could all use some warm thoughts right now. I don't know how many warm thoughts we're going to have, but if at the very least we'll be heated by uh, Corey Christen's ire for this Indians offseason. And I know he has some thoughts that I'm sure we'll hear all of. Corey, aside from uh, the the offseason uh, and the frustration therein, how are you doing? I'm okay. Personally, working through, you know, I had surgery over the fall and just working, everything's good in that department, and yeah, I'm in the I'm in the job train, getting freelance work with the Vindicator in Youngstown. So shout outs to the Vindy. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying life. Baseball's back, which is good in general. So if, if there's anything positive, it's that. But yeah, we we all have thoughts on the Indians front office and the organization. I feel like as a tempered layout can be given. So uh, good to be back, gentlemen. And Justin, congrats on. Getting the promotion, EIC. I guess now I have my former boss and my current boss. <laughs> I'm speaking with, so I've got to be careful. Yeah, be, be on your best behavior, Corey. No, uh, no slip ups. Not have, today. Have the year off to a good start. Not yeah, today. I, I'm good. I'm good. Just to kind of uh, uh, put a fine point on uh, all the sh- shakeups uh, with the IBI leadership. Uh, things are still going forward uh, with the prospect rankings, as I'm sure you've seen, as well as the preparation for the season and all the uh, readers can still expect all the same uh, level of content uh, throughout the season and coverage minor leagues prospects major leagues and Indians uh, all that's still going to be going on as scheduled Justin's just taking the uh, uh, the point man role uh, and overseeing all this stuff I'm stepping more into the background still going to be contributing doing the podcasts here but you know, just with a with a wedding coming up soon for me, and uh, I just got a new f- full time job um, elsewhere outside of the journalism field, actually, uh, but still within the writing field. So uh, that's nice. Uh, I'll be doing some copywriting for an SEO company, which 
you know, it's it's nice. It's it's good work. But uh, Jake's being an adult. I am. Yeah. Being, I, I am being an adult, and I'm about to about, about hey, to become. Well, growing old is not a choice, but growing up is. Just saying. Okay, words, <laughs> words to live by, and I'm feeling them right now. So let's just. Hey, I leave. just turned thirty, so you don't got to talk. I have good <laughs> advice on that now. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, still excited to continue contributing for IBI in a lesser role. So, but uh, I'm. Glad to hand the uh, baton and uh, pass the mantle off to uh, another capable and seasoned uh, minor league baseball writer and Justin Lada. And Justin, I'm glad to see you uh, in the role, and I couldn't think of uh, someone someone more qualified and more uh, and uh, more apt to uh, take take the uh, IBI reins and uh, lead the site in a positive direction. Thank you, and I'm just trying not to screw it up. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> that's right alright aren't we all so uh what do you say we just <laughs> what do we say we just get into this here um the Indians off season this was a perplexing one to fans to writers to everybody all about uh tribe nation this I mean you know we last when last we talked we were talking about the you know, Indians trading Edwin Encarnacion over to Seattle for uh, t- to bring back Carlos Santana. You know, they also sent Yandy Diaz to Tampa Bay in exchange for Jake Bowers. Uh, since then, you know, we've seen Michael Brantley sign with the Astros. Uh, we've seen Andrew Miller sign with the Cardinals. Uh, and, yeah, player, Indians seem to be losing players left and right. They traded away some players, some key players, and with the moves they made earlier in the off season with the the big blockbuster Encarnacion deal, bringing back Carlos Santana, we all kind of said, "Okay, that's nice. It's good to have Santana back. He's he's been in Indians mainstay for years, leading heading into uh, 2018 when he signed with the Phillies. Now he's back, and uh, I think it was a I think it was good to bring him back. But what's What's the next part of the plan? Is there going to be a follow-through and uh, taking this money that they saved and trading away on Carnacion and uh, reinvesting it into the roster? Uh, how's uh, how's that all going to work, essentially? And we were all expecting some kind of move for them to follow through because we've known in years past, uh, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff have been able to pull the switch on some uh, deals to fill out the roster, and this year it just hasn't come to fruition, even at this point now. Who'd say it, it doesn't happen still? I mean, there's still a lot of free agents out there, including the mega free agents Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, who could be signing soon, but who really knows at this point? But uh, there could still, basically there could still be moves made this offseason, but at this point it doesn't seem likely, and all indications point to that being true, especially... Uh, with some of the recent uh, rumblings from local media, I think it was Paul Hoynes who said that the Indians aren't likely to add another bat this off season, and it seems odd with uh, the outfield in the in the shape it's in, and then you had some bullpen holes to fill as well. I mean, they brought back uh, Oliver Perez on a one-year deal plus a vesting option, but just. Uh, Giving you the broad strokes of the off season here, and uh, what we're trying to figure out, what the Indians' plan is. What do you guys think 
is the Indians' approach this offseason? And uh, do they have a bigger picture in mind? Do they have more more uh, possible moves up their sleeve that maybe we're just not hearing about yet? Uh, what? And if not, what is the what is the end game here? So, uh, Justin, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think they probably, I don't want to say they misread the market, but I think the market's just been so weird this offseason. I mean, they were never going to be players in free agency. Let's, let's get that out of the way. They were never going to go out and sign Harper Machado. I don't think they were, they were never going to sign A.J. Pollock, uh, Craig Kimbrell. None of those guys were ever going to be coming to Cleveland. But um, I think the market really sort of, to, for lack of a better term, crashed on them and their offers for Kluber and Bauer. I think I think everything that's been held up all offseason and free agency has affected trades for everybody, including the Indians. They, I think they wanted to trade Kluber or Bauer. I think they wanted to take that route to reshape the roster, to improve the outfield, the bullpen, maybe restock the system a little. I think they had every intention of trading those guys, but I think they had every intention of making sure that the offer met their standards, and they were not going to budge on getting two. I think it was, I'm guessing they were probably looking for what one or two major league ready players and a prospect, either um, the third base or the outfield or relief pitching would be my guess, and plus a prospect. So those offers clearly never materialized. And on one hand, you know it's good they didn't soften up their stance on what they wanted in return for those two guys because they need those two guys and they're both Cy Young contenders. You don't trade a Cy Young contender and take less than the value. But I think we're seeing a really big shift in how teams are valuing players and contracts now. And, it, and it's starting to affect trades, and I think it affected the Indians. So I think a lot of their offseason plan probably surrounded cutting payroll. Obviously, they did that. And also probably trading Kluber or Bauer and, and getting talent return, and they didn't. So now they're sort of stuck in this in-between mode where they did shed payroll, but now they're back to levels they were at before without any intention to add around that. And they're not sure what's going to happen in the outfield and the bullpen, and they're going to try to you know, get to the trading deadline again in a terrible division and then almost repeat last year, it seems like. That's that's kind of what seems like to be the MO. They're going to try to repeat 2018, and that went really well. So why wouldn't you do that again, you know? So what is – if that is the case, you know, they are, I don't know, content or uh, or whatever they – whatever the word you want to choose there with being a, a weaker division and knowing that they have at least a, a decent sense of security in being able to capture another division crown. Are they going with the, you know, October is a roll of the dice, and if anybody gets hot at the right time, they can run the tables on the off on the uh, postseason. Is is that the is that the game they're playing? And if so, it's it seems to me like with the roster that they have, while they have a uh, rotation that's still uh, tops in baseball. Uh, you know, the, you know, you got teams like the Astros and even like the the Red Sox and the Nationals uh, starting to c- contend with the tribe as far as starting pitching goes. But uh, you know, the Indians are still on the top with their rotation still intact. But uh, if they're going with that, trying to win the division and then see what happens after that, with 
after seeing how it shaped, uh, how it uh, shook out in uh, uh, the 2018 uh, postseason when the ALDS against the Astros, it seems to me that would that would be kind of a I don't I would call I would go to say to call it a reckless gamble at this point. I mean, it's in in a way it's kind of a safe bet because you know you're going to win the division. Uh, or at least you're, there's a, say, a very good chance that you will, and you are going to be guaranteed an October spot, uh, an October postseason spot. But uh, at the same time, you know the, the the American League is not like the American League Central. You know you got teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, even teams like the Rays and the Athletics standing in your way uh, between. Uh, a division title in an American League pennant, so it's it's a tough road to hoe in October. So I don't know, Corey. What do you think? Is this the? Is, does this seem to be like they're just gambling on uh, October being a coin flip? I don't know what they're gambling on. To be truthfully honest, I mean, I, and to address some of what Justin said about the market, I don't know if the market's necessarily been unfair to the Indians, or if everybody has just completely abandoned it. I mean, we're in mid-February. Spring training games start this week. And you're looking at a... You guys follow Jason Stark on Twitter, I presume. He tweets yeah. out every few days a unemployed lineup. Who's going to... Who's the all-free agents team? And as of today, it's guys like Marwin Gonzalez, of course Machado and Harper... Carlos Gonzalez, Adam Jones, Matt Wieters, Evan Gaddis, Josh Harrison. I can keep going. Point is, it's not just that the big boom names like Harper Machado haven't moved. It's that these tier guys below them, like the Marwan Gonzalez's, the Adam Jones's, the Josh Harrison's, legit baseball players that could help pretty much any team that's on that cusp of winning a World Series get to that next plateau. And... I don't know if the Indians just haven't capitalized on the fact that the market's been so bad this offseason. And th- this isn't a secret. These are comments that players are making that um, are being addressed by media. It's not exactly like a well-kept thing. So with that said, I don't understand why the Indians entered December with needs and were in February about to start spring training games, and there are still needs, given they are a – Prime World Series contender. They have the fifth best odds in Vegas for entertainment purposes only, because we're in Ohio, of winning the World Series. But yet, that's still fourth in the American League behind Boston, uh, Houston, and the Yankees. So the overarching question entering the offseason was the Indians, or the overarching theme, I should say, is the Indians need to get better than Houston and the Yankees and the Red Sox, because those three teams, at least I test, were better than the Indians. And certainly Houston was, given what happened to the ALDS. The Indians had a question to address. Can they get better than those three teams? Now we're in February. Did they? Did they do what they needed to do to get better than them on paper? And I think on paper in baseball means a lot. So when I look at whether the Indians address issues or not, there's still things out there to look at at third base. Uh, Now it's shortstop to replace Lindor temporarily. Who knows how long he's out, although – the initial report says, you know, seven to nine weeks. There's an outfield that's still, I test, one of the worst in baseball. I don't mean to, all hyperbole aside, I, I think, in my opinion, it's one of the worst on paper in baseball. If you get a guy like Bryce Harper, that sends it up 
quite a few runs. If you get a guy like uh, like Adam Jones, who's very serviceable, or if you get Carlos Gonzalez, who's serviceable, that addresses a need. The point is, the Indians haven't addressed all their needs, and the vibe going into this season just doesn't feel like it did last year and certainly two seasons ago when they were um, on their way to a AL best record. It, it just doesn't feel the same right now because there's still needs. It, it does not feel the same. You're absolutely right. And it seems like, in a lot of ways, I, I would venture to get it. Would you guys agree that it's that it's not uh, out of out of the realm of uh, possibility or out of or uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Is it uh, inappropriate to say that uh, the Indians actually got worse this offseason on paper? Uh, using your analogy, Corey, did you would you say that on paper the Indians did not get better and, and in fact they actually got worse? Yes. I, I, I Yes, in some ways because you lose Michael Brantley, who's an all-star outfielder. You didn't just lose him. You lost him to the team that freaking beat you. You lost Michael Brantley to the team that you let them outbid you. You lose your starting catcher, Jan Gomes, albeit trade. That's part of the money-shedding possibilities. Um, They made efforts to get younger. I get that. But, you know, I'm not saying they need to go get Bryce Harper, but spend the money. You know, we got kids trying to watch. A a 10-year-old boy growing up watching the Cleveland Indians isn't going to grow up and 10 years later say, man, I'm glad they saved that payroll. Like – Make the move. Try to try to win a World Series. It's not that they're not trying. It's just they're, I don't think they're trying hard enough, quite honestly. So in comparison to Boston, Houston, New York, yeah, I think the Indians did get worse, and they might have spread that gap a little bit. I, and I'm trying not. I'm trying to be as positive as I can here, but it's really hard to when they're not giving me a reason to. Yeah, it's. It's tough to say that, you know, you could say that Encarnacion for Santana value-wise might be might might be an even swap at this point. And, you know, who knows? A guy like Jake Bowers may have some potential. I know uh, our friend and colleague uh, Jeff Ellis is pretty high on him, and I respect his opinion. And uh, But, you know, you could say the same about Yandy Diaz. So that could be an even swap as well, but it depends on who pans out and who doesn't. Uh, but, yeah, losing guys like Brantley uh, and trading away Jan Gomes and then losing uh, Cody Allen and uh, Andrew Miller in the bullpen, who, granted, I think both of them have probably hit a wall at this point uh, where they might not be able to come all the way back. But that even so, even if they don't come back and be the pitchers that they were, uh, that's still two big holes in your bullpen, bullpen you need to fill. Um so, and they're in late inning key roles. So you got Brad Hand at closer, but who's your eighth inning guy? Is it is it Oliver Perez? That there's a I, I like Oliver Perez, but he's not an eight, he's not an eighth inning guy. Is it uh, Neil Ramirez or uh, mm-hmm. or or uh, who Dan Otero? I don't know. I don't. That's my don't, thing. And, of, and not to cut you off, but of all these names that you're mentioning, they're serviceable relievers. Yes, but. Who do you legitimately trust if you're facing Boston or the Yankees or Houston? And I keep – I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but that those are the three teams the Indians have to beat. One of, the, one of the three, if not two of the three, they have to beat to get to a World Series. So when it comes down to the eighth and the ninth inning in a one-run and a two-run game, do you trust Ortero or Oliver Perez or whoever it may be to get out an Alex Bregman 
or an Aaron Judge or a Mookie Betts. Do you trust? That's the bottom line. The bottom line isn't, well, it's a cute move. They save some money so they can use it whenever they want. And Lindor, I get with his contract. That's a whole other story. But who do you trust? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I'm shrugging. I. I don't get it. They brought in some intriguing pieces in, uh, like, uh, I think it was that guy, Chu Wei Hu and uh, uh, Nick Whitgren and uh, um, uh, who else? They they brought in. That's the point. You can't even name them. That's the point. We can barely name them. But, the, yeah, the, to, to going to your point, Corey, they're intriguing pieces. And some of these younger guys like uh, Whitgren and, and who could pro- – Possibly develop into something, but you don't trust them in the eighth inning right out of the gate. Not none of these guys are trustworthy to pitch in the eighth inning right out of the gate. You'd much rather have a tried and true arm out there, and the Indians simply don't have that right now, and they haven't gone out to get that. You know, Maybe is, it's Henry, is, Hen- is Henry Martinez gonna uh, come up and be the be that guy? Maybe, but we don't know that, and we can't depend on him to be that. Uh, that's not how a World Series contending team operates. You this, maybe this do that when problem. you're rebuilding. That you maybe do that when you're rebuilding and you're uh, like a sixty to sixty yeah. to eighty win team. But uh, you're not. You don't do that when you're trying to win ninety plus games and and try to compete for a World Series. That's exactly the point, though. You have a World Series caliber lineup. At least with as long as Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez are in that lineup, you have a shot at winning. And you're in a bad division, so you have a shot at winning. You have Adam Simber and Brad Hand in your bullpen as certainties for your back end. And I'm not – and I, I meant when I'm talking about guys like um, Martinez and who and um, Otero, you know, I'm talking about in a dire scenario like that. You're going to have Hand contribute a fair season. He's, here's your closer. You're going to have Simber contribute as a setup man. But I've never seen a team that's as primed to win a World Series in 20 years of watching baseball – that has had so many holes and so many depth concerns and so many questions marks as this year's Indians team does going into the season. I, I just don't – I don't know why the Indians had to try to wait for the market instead of trying to go set it for themselves. And Chris Antonetti even made comments in January that basically said if we're contending around the trade deadline, they'll make moves. Well, why don't you put yourself in position to be a contender then, and then you could go make more moves, you know, like – I don't. I just don't understand the rationale behind it. You have a team that's ready to win a World Series. Go out and swing for the fences. Pun intended. Go, go, go out and get it. You know. You look at baseball, guys. The two teams in the World Series last year. You know what their payroll rankings were? One and two. One and two. You spend money to make money. This isn't football where you might have a running back go undrafted and make a Pro Bowl. This is baseball. You got to spend to win. It, that's the bottom line. Yeah, there there is something to that, um, and the higher payroll teams have been doing better in re- in recent years. You know, with the Cubs and with at the Astros and with the Red Sox and the Dodgers. So yeah, the, it's, it seems like we're swinging back towards more of a high payroll kind of trend. But uh, Justin, uh, I want to bring you back into the conversation. I just wanted to play kind of I don't know if you call it devil's advocate, but. Uh, Based on what how the market has developed this year, and how you know guys like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are still free agents, and now there's the conspiracies are starting to, to float around about uh, you know teams 
about owners. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to throw the word collusion around too lightly, but uh, you know, they're they're trying to maybe artificially bring their prices down. Uh, they're asking prices down, and that's why it's, the negotiations have dragged out for so long. Do you? Th- is there any chance that the the way the market has played out this year? Because as uh, Corey mentioned, there are a lot of uh, not just Harper and Machado, a lot of uh, uh, productive and uh, valuable free agents still out there. And is 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 the Indians' off season and their unwillingness or uh, their uh, just their inactivity on the market does do you think that this could have anything to do with how the overall market has developed uh, probably not I mean they were probably going to do this either way the only pushback I have like yeah the Indians need to to make some upgrades in the outfield and the bullpen even if they're just minor the only pushback I have is that you know attendance has not been good and they did sign Encarnacion to a record contract for, oh, I should say Indians record, not baseball record. Um, but they signed Encarnacion to a team record contract after game, you know, finishing one game short of the World Series in, in 2016. Then um, they didn't have a, a real attendance spike the year after, and they had a 22-game winning streak. So I'm going to at least note that support hasn't been there, no matter what you think about spending and revenues in baseball and how much money they're making. Um, there needs to be fan support. The Indians have not finished above 21st in attendance since 2008. That's a long time. And, and you can you can forgive that for how god-awful 2009 through 2012 were. Those were horrible years that nobody should be forced to remember. Next time they want to torture somebody, you should make them watch the 2010 Indians pitching staff or, <laughs> or you know, watch Shelly Duncan play left field or oh, watch Aaron Casey Cunningham. Hit. Aaron Cunningham, Johnny Damon. Watch, you know, uh, gr- yeah, oh my gosh, those were torturous so you, days. You can forgive bad attendance those years, um, but I think the pro- I think a major problem here is is that attendance has been pretty poor um, for how well, how well they, how good of a team they've been, how well they performed. Evans has not been good, so I, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying they shouldn't spend money because of that, but I think it's it's sort of fair to at least put that on the record as, as an issue mm-hmm. here and why they're not spending. Um, but I mean, regardless, what were they going to spend it on? I, I, I'm all for making additions, but I take issue with like okay, like today for example, Monday, the the Reds signed Derek Features to a minor league deal. Now, any anybody on a minor league deal is fine as long as they're not blocking playing time for a prospect in the minors, right? Um, but like, you know, some of these guys' values are getting overinflated. Like Adam Jones was a below production uh, average production level hitter last year. He can't play center field anymore. Is he an upgrade for the Indians? Yes. Um, you know, but to what cost? Like, I think you have to evaluate in the terms of okay, how how much production is Adam Jones going to give you? How much does he want? Like you have to pay that. I think there has to be a a figure here to match the production levels. And I think that's why you're obviously why you're seeing the market has changed because teams are no longer are, are understand you don't pay for what a guy did in his age twenty six to twenty nine thirty season. You're paying for what he's yeah. going to give you going forward, and that's why Adam Jones and Carlos Gonzalez and and other guys like that don't have a job now. Don't ask me about Marwin Gonzalez because. He has true defensive versatility and has been an above-average offensive producer 
the last two years. And I, I came into the offseason thinking that Marwan Gonzalez was overrated, but not to the point where he didn't he deserves to be sitting on the free agent market and that he couldn't help the Indians. He could. Um, so I don't think the market really made much of a difference for the Indians in terms of free agents because I think this was going to be the plan all along. I don't think they were going to sign free agents. Like, mm. It's just where they are. Yeah. Uh, they might have signed a guy or two if they could have cleared more payroll maybe, but I think their plan was to, to shed payroll and to revamp the roster by trading Kluber Bauer, and they didn't do that. Um, so like I said, I'm not excusing not spending because, like you said, the market has been dead, and there's been a lot of weird things going on, and there are free agents out there that could still help them, or deals they passed up that seem like... I'm glad Oliver Perez is back, but okay. Who was there was a reliever recently that signed for two and a half million? I think uh, what Brad Brock. I I personally would have I might have rather had Brad Brock than than Oliver Perez, given the fact that you still have Tyler Olson. Yeah, you know I I don't see a whole lot of differences between the two of those pitchers, except that Perez has more experience, but Olson's been good when healthy, so. I don't know. It's just very. It's been a very strange offseason, but I really have a hard time believing the Indians were ever going to spend, no matter what the market looked like. You know, you know I, what I can the. I'm thinking of Adam Jones and a guy or a guy like Cargo. You know, one of those veterans that the, the production's declining. I think a couple of years ago to Austin Jackson, when the Indians signed him, right minor league deal incentives to make the major league roster. He eventually did because of some injuries, but. Think about how the Indians were going into 2017 when Austin Jackson was signed versus now when they get they could have a guy like Jones or Cargo, etc. Think of the state of the ball club in comparison with the rest of the American League. A signing like that now makes a guy like that more likely to make the Major League roster than it was two years ago when it was a depth move. I mean, that's kind of where the Indians are at now. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably where Matt Joyce is at with them. I think that's that's kind yeah. of their signing this year, and we can talk about that because I actually do like the Matt Joyce signing. Now, I do too. Is it is Me it three. exciting? No, but I think if he's healthy, there's a good chance he's going to make this roster in the same way you mentioned, Corey. I mean, they, I the way I look at the off season is I don't want to say they, they intentionally took a step back, but I think that they looked at the division realized the division was going to be relatively easy to win again this year, decided that they were not going to sustain the payroll they had based on the attendance they're going to have. Um, you know, like I said, fair or not, they decided that that payroll was not what they wanted to continue going with. <laughs> and they needed to get younger. You know, they did have, that's the one thing I'll agree with, is they did need to get younger. You know, they did have, what, the fifth oldest team in baseball last year? You know, that that's not good for, for putting an optimal roster around Lindor and Ramirez and his pitching staff. Now, are they is, is the roster optimal now? No, of course not. And, and the pitching staff is part of the problem because, <coughs> excuse me, Kluber and Bauer, or excuse me, Kluber, Kluber and Krask are getting older, so they're going to affect the age of that average <laughs> age of the rotation. But I think they almost took a step back yeah I, I don't I don't think there's any way to put it but they took a step back to try to get better next year and in, and in the next couple of years you know they're trying to reshape things for the next few years that's why they got Jake Bowers that's why they traded Gomes and got you know Daniel Johnson Jeffrey Rodriguez and 
uh, some other guys. I think they're trying to get their roster back into a shape where maybe 2019, 2020, when Chicago and Minnesota and, and maybe the I don't know about Detroit yet, but at least Chicago and Minnesota, where they might start to be serious divisional foes in 2020 and 2021, the Indians might have made their roster better for those years, but not as good this year. Two attendance-related things before I move on. Sorry, Jake. Number one, they don't care because they have the All-Star game this year. That's bumping things up automatically. I don't okay, know but they... oh, there's, there's a cost associated with that, first of all. Don't, there is. Let's, let's not act like they didn't have to pay to get that here. No, you're right. You're right. And number two, towards later in the season, this sounds almost silly to say, the Browns are good now. That's a factor. You're right. That's 100% a factor. And, and they would have had a chance there. to... They're good now. They would have had a chance to capture attention early on with the Cavs not being any good. Like, you know, it used to be, what, in in, in yeah. April, May, and June, or April and May, it was like, well, everybody's going to see the Cavs in the playoffs, so nobody's spending money on Indians tickets. Now, nobody will be watching basketball after April because the Cavs will all be at home. But so now they, in August... Yeah. But now in August and September, when, you know, playoff time starts hitting and, you know, teams are making the final push and they're going to start pumping up, you know, hey, get to the ballpark. We're going to get to the postseason. People will be like, nope, Lake Erie's popping. Let's go there and see uh, Orange Six make some plays. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, you know, essentially flip the couch for the Browns, although it's uh, the Browns come – the Brown season comes at a more inopportune time for Indians, uh, for Indians attendance because you know the Indians are going to try, be trying to get people to the ballpark for the playoff push. But yeah, the Browns are more exciting to watch, which you know they they very well might be. Uh, people are going to be going more to those games because we all know that football is a priority in this town. So uh, that's definitely a factor. The All Star Game is a factor, although as Justin said, you know it comes with its own costs. So you got to figure out the cost benefit, costs and benefits of that, into the attendance and then the Browns and everything else. It's it's a it's a very multi layer discussion and, and uh, thing to figure out. It's not all laid out in black and white like people always try to make it uh, sound like. But uh, th- yeah, th- I think that uh, it, it, no matter how you slice it up, attendance is definitely definitely a factor and. Uh, you know, the Indians were hoping to generate more interest in the team by signing a guy like Encarnacion, and, you know, it barely moved the needle attendance-wise, so that's, you know, and then I think that Justin makes a very good observation here as far as the Indians potentially playing the long game with this approach, at least the long game in terms of, like, the next three to five years, because, mm-hmm. as he mentioned, the... the uh, White Sox and the Twins are younger and they're on the rise. The White Sox especially, they've got uh, loads of young talent and they're going to be, they oh, yeah. sh- on paper, they should be pretty good within the next few years. So, um, I, don't, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it like that before, but maybe the Indians are kind of, I hate to say it because, you know, the, everybody's viewing this as still within the Indians' uh, World Series window and maybe... You know, you can still uh, object to this and probably raise a good argument. But maybe the Indians are kind of, in a sense, kicking the can down the road a little bit because, you know, they know they can still field a competitive team in this division and uh, still try to uh, 
roll the dice in the postseason, but then they're also simultaneously trying to uh, get younger, as Justin said, bring in some more assets, like uh, younger assets like a Daniel Johnson or a Jeffrey Rodriguez or a Jake Bowers, and try to get a little bit younger and try to field a, a better team for one, two, three years down the road for when the, the division will get competitive again. At least that's what we expect. And then uh, and then the Indians can still remain competitive in that capacity. So, you know what? Uh, in that sense, I can kind of understand it. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it because I think that you're still in the window where winning a World Series at all costs should still be a should still be on the table. But then again, the Indians have been known to kind of play play the uh, play this game from a different different fields and levels of uh, thinking because they're always trying to think about uh, playing to win now but also having an eye on the future and I think that this might be another example of that the more that I think about it so uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, signings that and trades that were brought in a little bit uh, just to kind of recap we mentioned the the Matt Joyce uh, minor league deal. They also brought in uh, veteran infielder Ryan Flaherty, uh, catcher Deonna Navarro, who was coming in from independent ball, formerly of the Blue Jays. Uh, Alex Wilson, formerly of the of the Tigers. A couple of uh, lesser name guys, relief pitcher Asher uh, Wojcikowski, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, Tim uh, Federowitz. Uh, or Federwicks, how you pronounce it, uh, Justin Grimm, uh, formerly of the Cubs, and then Brooks Pounders of the Twins, a couple of more relief pitchers on minor league deals. Also, the Indians uh, brought in uh, catcher from the Mets, Kevin Plowecki, in exchange for pitcher Walter Lockett and second baseman Sam Haggerty. Uh, Jordan Milbrath, uh, relief pitching prospect, was dealt to the Marlins for Nick Whitgren, who's an intriguing bullpen piece. So, uh... You know, those guys, in addition to all the other guys we mentioned brought in, uh, is there anybody who really jumps out at you? You know, we we mentioned Matt Joyce and Nick Wickren, but is there anybody else on that list who jumps out to you as somebody who could be like a kind of lightning-in-the-bottle uh, type of guy who could uh, the Indians could strike it rich on this year? Uh, Justin? Yeah, for me, it's just Matt Joyce. I, I do like Justin Grimm a little bit. He did make some changes in his mechanics um, at the end of the year. He was also hurt, um, but it looks like he identified maybe an issue he had with the slider and how he was throwing and how he was finishing off the mound. So I think there, and you know, people forget, he actually pitched against the Indians in the 2016 World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he pitched in Game 6 and Game 7, if I'm not mistaken, and he was pretty good. I think he shut down one of the rallies they were having after uh, things had gotten away from Jake Arrieta or, or John Lester. So... I think there's there's something interesting with, with Justin Grimm. Uh, other than that, it's, for me, it's just Matt Joyce. The rest of this list is pretty uninspiring, like uh, Diane Navarro and, and who was the other catcher? They uh, Tim Feder- Federovich. If those guys see the field this year, something's really not good. Um, Alex Wilson doesn't. I know Alex Wilson's got the, a decent track record of, of good ERAs, but he doesn't have the strikeout numbers to back it up, so I really am not intrigued by him at all. Um, geez, Ryan Flaherty is awful. Brooks Pounders is just a fun name to say. 
And I don't really know much. I don't really know how in the world Nick Whitgren put up a 350 ERA last year because the guy does not have good stuff. Um, but my guess is he'll be in the bullpen if he doesn't have if he has options. So, or he won't if he does not have options. He'll be in the bullpen. That's the thing the Indians really got to look at is like guys like Neil Ramirez and Tyler Olson don't have options. They're going to have to start the year in the pen because they can't lose them. I don't know what Whitgren's situation is, but. The one I like the most is Matt, is Matt Joyce. You know, he's two years removed from being a really fantastic offensive contributor, and the Indians don't have a full-time DH right now. So maybe there's a fit there to keep him healthy and, and split some time in the outfield. I just kind of wonder how he fits in on the construction of the roster. But if he's healthy, I think that's, I think he can make a real impact. Uh, Corey, you, I, I know you're a fan of Matt Joyce, too. I know he... Uh... You know, he's spent a lot of time with the Rays. He also had some time with the Pirates and uh, most recently was with the A's, I was, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And uh, but any, So uh, if you have any thoughts on Matt Joyce and anybody else you like on this list, uh, feel free to share them. Yeah, I mean, Joyce is it. He's going to be a contributor in some way to this outfield, which I don't know what that's saying. Um, I'm Navarro and... Federowicz they'll have fun in Columbus. Um, Flaherty have fun in Columbus. Wilson, the relievers are the jury's going to be out on the relievers until something happens or doesn't happen. Of those four, I'd say Grimm and Wilson are the most likely to contribute. I'm not versed on Wojciechowski or Pounders as much myself, but um, based on name and based on what I've seen from them in the past couple years. If there's a reliever I had to pick out of the bunch, that that could be the you know, kind of the surprise out of the pen this year. I think it would be Grim, but I'm not in any way, shape, or form overwhelmed by really any of those guys. O- overwhelm is a strong word, but you know I'm intrigued by Joyce. Um, but other than that, giving up Sam Haggerty is not fun. He was really on the rise as a prospect, and Ploiecki will be a nice depth option, I think. So. Um, having Perez, Haas, and Ploiecki, that's not a bad three to have. So, I mean, that's that's pretty much it right there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know much about Whitgren myself, uh, but when I initially saw the move come down, I did a little preliminary number crunching on him, and I saw he – you know, he had some decent numbers, and people were saying, like, the Marlins gave him up for nothing, for no reason, and, you know, they, but of course, who knows what Derek Jeter has going on down there, there's, that's just the latest in a, in a line of some questionable moves, but, uh, yeah, we'll see what he does, I like, I, I agree with both of you, I like Matt Joyce, I like that move from when it was announced, uh, Justin Grimm is also very intriguing to me because I, he's he's had his ups and downs, but when he's been up, he's been pretty good uh, for the Cubs in their bullpen. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if that uh, turns into anything. I think that's – if I were to pick a lightning in a bottle uh, uh, signing for the Indians this year, I think it would be Justin Grimm because – you know they really need help in their bullpen, and he's a guy who could potentially step up as he has a track record too. Joyce is interesting too, but I think his track record is stronger, and I think the Indians are bringing him in in more in mind of him actually making the team versus you know a guy like Justin Grimm, who you know they they're gonna bring him in and see what happens. So uh, yeah, we'll see if any of these guys uh, 
can pan out, but uh, it's always fun to kind of look at the minor league signings and see try to predict who uh, makes the team, who doesn't, who makes an impact, and who doesn't. And sometimes we just never know. I mean, who would have thought that uh, guys like Neil Ramirez and uh, uh, some of the other minor league signings over the years, Ryan Rayburn and all all, all those type of guys can come in and make an impact. Uh, Austin Jackson, uh, we just brought him up recently uh so uh yeah these are all in, these are all interesting signings mildly intriguing some uh others are you know not probably won't be spoken of again but that's just the nature of the game so it's just as is the case every year we'll just have to wait and see all right so moving on to some spring training storylines here the biggest story right now of course is surrounding indian star shortstop francisco lindor who, before camp even began, about a week before, it was announced that he had sustained uh, a significant calf strain and would be out for seven to nine weeks, which would put him out for all of spring training and potentially into the season. So what does this kind of injury mean to you? Do you think that uh, this could be something more significant? I I don't know. I think that our injury expert, uh, Brandon Bowers, did a piece on Lindor. Uh, Justin will have to clarify that and see what uh, Brandon had to say about that. If he did, if he if he did anything at all, but uh, well, what does this mean for the Indians to start the season? Is it something that could have uh, a lingering effect throughout the season? We've seen how early season injuries have affected the team negatively in the past and affected players negatively in the past. Is this something to be very concerned about, or do you think that? Uh, Lindor could bounce back and still come back and produce at an all-star level, and maybe uh, this is if if at anything if this is a there was a time to get hurt that this might be the best time. It seems weird to say, but I don't know. What what are your guys' thoughts on this, uh, Corey? Um, it just kind of depends on how he rehabs and how he comes back. I, I Brandon tweeted about it. I know that much. And basically what boils down to is these calf injuries are real mysteries for whatever reason, whether it's the arranged timetable and they make it back, whether it's they take longer or shorter to come back than the designated uh, time frame or the production, like you mentioned. How effective is Lindor going to be doing what he does and that's play shortstop? It's not just fielding baseballs. It's running hard, making hard cuts, using plant uh, plant feet and um, step feet to throw. It's base running. It's getting out of the box from the left side. It's getting out of the box from the right side. There's a lot. You know, this isn't like a, you know, this isn't a, a bruised anything. This isn't a bruised arm. This is a pretty significant injury for the position that he plays, I think. You know, maybe calf injury for a first baseman wouldn't be as significant for a calf injury for an athlete who plays a high-volume position like Lindor does, and he does that at a high level. So not that because these players get these injuries, they're doomed by any stretch. Lindor's still going to be fine. It's just that there is a track record of these injuries being a little more serious than everybody initially thinks. And sometimes production does dip. So I guess the jury's going to be out until he gets back and he starts taking at bats and whenever that is. 
Is it going to be that seven to nine weeks? Is it going to be within the realm of a couple of weeks of opening day? How late is he going to come back? So this is more of a wait and see thing for me. I want to know how he rehabs and how he progresses throughout the spring before we can really make any calls on this. Justin, uh, what is your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, well, to, to go back further to answer your question about what Brandon said, Brandon's definitely concerned. Um, you know, we're going to have sort of a Chisholm Hall effect here where this is continues to linger. Um, you know, it is a soft tissue injury. Those do tend to linger. They are not, you know, immediate healing injuries like a, a broken bone. They don't heal on a timeline. They're just something you've got to massage and, and be mindful of probably throughout the year. And, and, and don't know what happened to Chisholm Hall, but look, we went from one bad calf in 2017 to two bad calves in 2018. And he didn't even play, what, 20 games? I don't know how many games he played, but I think that's the concern with this. Um, my my real concern is yeah the lingering effects of this like you know is it going to stick around, but also let's say the injury's fine he heals okay, but he's not you know back on the field until end of spring training or maybe a week into the season, and he's got to go out for a rehab assignment to get back to to the volume he needs to be at you know we've seen. In the last couple of years, guys who miss time in spring training and have to make up for at-bats and volume and, and timing and, and just the feel for everything in, in rehab and then try to get back into major league games, it doesn't go well. Look at Jason Kipnis. Not, maybe that's not a fair example because he's older, different body type. Um, but, you know, just as an example there, we've seen a lot of guys who miss spring training and they're not the same. They, they play catch-up all year even looking at the free agents last year, look at Logan Morrison. And, and again, I know these guys are not all world talents like Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor is top five player in all of major league baseball. So it may not be fair comparisons, but you see these guys who miss significant time in spring training for either signing or injuries. And they just take all year to try to get their timing back and, and just make up for the volume and the normal schedule you miss in spring training. That's my real concern. I mean, I know, again, I know the guy's a great talent, um, but this this lineup, you know, this goes back to the offseason. This lineup is not built to sustain any sort of major injuries to those two players. This lineup is totally predicated on those two playing at MVP levels like they have been. Um, and that's that's a real concern. And this is even, account, by the way, account for the fact that Jose Ramirez was not a good baseball player uh, the last month of the season. So we can get into that too. I'm super concerned about that from this angle. That now you're only you're only above maybe three above average hitters. It's down to Ramirez and, and Santana for the moment. But yeah, my biggest worry is definitely the volume and in the, in the spring training and his overall readiness for the season. Yeah, that's. I think that I'm not. I'm more concerned about that. I agree, I'm in agreement with you, Justin, as far as the. Uh, actual lingering effects from a baseball standpoint versus a uh, health standpoint because uh, I think that Lindor is, is young enough and is, to bounce back from this and I think yeah him being such a good player he can he he's a guy who can who is capable of bouncing back from it and I fully expect him to be able to come back healthy without any kind of problems but I think that the lingering effects of missing spring training and and that and that 
uh, kind of phenomenon which has affected players uh, left and right, as you've said, as you've mentioned, players who miss significant time earlier on in the season, it it's, it seems to have a negative effect, and that was the painful realization I came to after the, this injury news first broke was I for the first time in my mind I saw an Indians lineup without one of Francisco Lindor or Jose Ramirez and I tell you what it scared me because as you said the the, the success of the entire lineup and in many ways of the whole team uh, depends so much upon uh, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez being on the top of their game. And when they're not, it's not pretty because we saw in the uh, ALDS against the Yankees two years ago. We saw it last year against the Astros, even though Lindor was decent, played decently in that series. If one of those two guys, or both of them, are not healthy or not uh, playing their best ball, it's it can be a disaster for the Indians. So seeing a lineup without Lindor early on in the season, even though the games early on aren't necessarily uh, aren't necessarily going to come into play when uh, the end of the season comes around and they're contending for a division title because they're probably going to win that either way. Uh, it's, it's still uh, a harsh awakening that I would hope that, they, that this would uh, incentivize the Indians to go out and make another move just for the sake of seeing that Lindor is not in the lineup. And, oh, wait, we only have, like you said, Jose Ramirez and Carlos Santana are the only two decently above-average hitters in your lineup right now. And that's where I think losing Michael Brantley really hurts because I was hoping that they would have a chance of bringing him back uh, because... You know, Brantley was the guy who kind of held it all together in a lot of ways. You know, there's maybe his value might have been overinflated. He wasn't as good as he was in 2014 when he was an MVP level player, but he was still an above average hitter and a the kind of hitter you you need in your lineup, especially at the top of your lineup. And not having him there anymore, and now not having Lindor for potentially the first. Uh, early portion of the season is it's definitely not a pr- it's definitely not the kind of uh, reality check you want uh, at this point in the off season, and it's really going to test the Indians' uh, depth and their resolve uh, from within because it doesn't seem like they're getting much help right now from outside the organization, so now they're going to have to really put guys like Yu Chang or Max Moroff or other guys they have, uh, or Eric Stamets, other guys they have on the depth chart to the test and see if they can step up. It may only be for a week or two, but they're the Indians are really going to have to see what they're made of and, because you know they can't be put in this position, say, in like August or September or whenever it gets down to crunch time and playoffs are nigh and you really need to have somebody step up if, heaven forbid, something like this happens at a crucial time in the season. So that's what my thoughts were on the Lindor injury. Uh, Did did you guys uh, come to that conclusion, seeing how, just see that uh, 
a horrible vision of a lineup without Francisco Lindor because it, it definitely scared the crap out of me. Hey, do you know who uh, who could be a really good replacement in that lineup for more than a couple weeks uh, to, to, to back up Lindor and Ramirez? How about Bryce Aaron Max Harper? <laughs> uh, look, okay, so, uh, joking aside, except I'm not, MLB Network had a thing about the Indians on TV, and they posted a graphic with the lineup, and this is with Lindor. This was right after the Indians got Bowers and Santana. It was like trade deadline week, mid-December. I looked back last week and back in January. It's the same thing. It's the same exact lineup. Nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. And back when they were first released that, I was like, Oh God, that's incomplete. And we even did a podcast that kind of reacted to that. And we, all three of us agreed it's incomplete. We have, we had a grade for the trade deadline week, roll the tape. It was, it was incomplete. It was, we'll see if they bounce off of that. What else they do? Well, they really haven't done much else to bolster that or to get better around that. So look, without Lindor and shoot, Let's put a gold ring around Jose Ramirez. Get armed bodyguards around him. I don't care. Don't let him. Don't let him leave the house. Don't let him take the stairs. Leave him. Leave him in a bubble. Jose Ramirez can't get hurt. They need something in this lineup that is more than just Lindor, Ramirez, Santana. Or else you look at all these elite pitching staffs that are being built now. You guys mentioned it, and I totally agree. Teams like Houston. And Boston are catching up to the Indians in terms of pitching staffs and starting pitching, which is what is the Indians' bread and butter anyway. So if you have guys like Verlander and Cole with Houston, and they're going to face like Greg Allen, who I, you know me, I love Greg Allen. They're going to face Greg Allen and then Jake Bowers and then Leonis Martinez, like the six, seven, and eight hitters or the seven, eight, nine hitters, whatever it is. I think they'll glad Houston will gladly take that. That's my point is like this lineup really hasn't done anything to get better even after they made trades to get a little bit better with that flexibility and getting younger and all that. Justin, you have any thoughts to add? Ooh, yeah, I mean. Just I say know. it, Justin. Bryce, Aaron, Max, Harper. <laughs> I mean – at this point, where where would Mar how would Marwin Gonzalez look? Like, think about that. Marwin Gonzalez would be the perfect player to a fill in for Lindor at, at shortstop while he's out, and not have to move other guys around, not rush Yu Chang, and he could also play left field. He could also play second base. The Indians are are one of those teams that values roster flexibility. Like, I know Max Moroff is probably the utility guy coming into this year, but, like, I think they're really excited about the fact they don't have – they're not locked into a DH. Like, they don't have to be – they don't have to, to shoehorn – I should say shoehorn because Edwin's only a DH, but they don't have to fit everybody else in the lineup around a DH. Like, they could give guys days off using the DH position right now and, and and a guy like Mauro Gonzalez only adds to that. He's still sitting out there. Like, what's he going to take at this point? I mean, I, the lineup is incomplete, and yeah, it's it's really bad. Like I said, if this is if this lingers for Lindor, it gets really ugly. And and again, if if Ramirez still has issues hitting breaking balls, and and 
you know, doesn't return to the first five months like he was last year, this gets really ugly fast. I mean, you're counting on a lineup with a center fielder who almost died last year. You know, let's not forget that, like, I, Leonis Martin was a really interesting acquisition at the train deadline. What, I don't know what you can expect from him right now because he almost died. Like, the fact that he's still playing baseball is a miracle by itself. What, you, what exactly are you supposed to expect from a guy like that? Um, he can only hit right-handers. He can't hit left-handers. Tyler Naquin hasn't been on the field. Like, they have a lot of questions. There's so many question marks, even with the known commodities. Like, okay, Carlos Santana was, I think, is an upgrade over Edwin at this point because I think Edwin was probably ready to hit the wall age-wise. Um, Jake Bowers, I think, is an upgrade over Yonder Alonso. We didn't really talk about that, but... I think just getting rid of Yonder Alonso was an upgrade on its own. And the fact that the White Sox took all the money and um, gave them a prospect, even if Alex Call is, is really never makes the majors. Like, I can't believe they were able to get rid of him. And that was a huge win for them. But they just don't have anybody. Like, I think Jake Bowers is the, is the one guy you can reasonably expect to break out this year. Everybody else, like... I don't know where, where it's going to come from, and I, they could easily address this with Marvin Gonzalez, I think. even Again, I, I came into the offseason saying Marvin Gonzalez is very overrated. He'll probably get paid more than he's worth, and I don't, we still don't know what he's going to get paid, but I can't imagine he's going to get paid like we thought he was going to get paid, and I, I, it's hard to see a better fit on the roster for anybody else's roster than Marvin Gonzalez for the Indians at this point. I would take Marlon Gonzalez for the simple fact that uh, for the simple fact that he wouldn't have to face the uh, Indians pitchers for a year. That guy is one of the biggest Indians killers on the on the uh, major league uh, diamond today. <laughs> also, take away one of Houston's hitters. Like maybe when you sign Marlon Gonzalez, you can get a little bit of insight into what the Astros are doing. Maybe I don't know because they seem to have a little bit of extra something on everybody else in terms of technology and, and player development. Well, uh, here's hoping that we will talk about a Marlon Gonzalez signing next time we come on the air. Come on the air. I really don't. I really don't feel good about it, but it's a <laughs> Jake or Justin. Justin, were you talking about their alleged their alleged spying last year? Because that was a great double entendre. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I mean that. That's uh, a good way to maybe get one of their guys over here. I don't know. That was a great double entendre. That was good. Oh, man. All right. Uh, I'm sure we'll be able to discuss all of this in more detail as uh, spring training unfolds here. But uh, some other, some more storylines from uh, spring training, some positional developments. Uh, as of today, on Monday, before we went on the air, Terry Francona came out and uh, made, the, uh, made it clear that uh, Jason Kipnis – will be the starting second baseman for the Cleveland Indians in 2019 on opening day. So that kind of removes speculation as to whether, you know, he was going to play in the outfield or maybe play some left field, take Michael Brantley's spot or whatever. Uh, Also, we saw – I saw a little tidbit uh, on my uh, MLB at Bat Alerts the other day that said that uh, the Indians were discussing possibly – approaching Carlos Santana about playing some outfield. So, I don't know what to make of all that. Uh, 
the Jason Kipnis at second base, I guess, doesn't surprise me because I guess they probably want to put him back in his natural position to get him to, to get him back to a to a comfortable spot to be able to uh, have a productive year. But uh, the Carlos Santana in the outfield thing that I don't get that at all. They they tried that in the 2016 World Series, and Terry Francona himself said uh, said uh, <laughs> that the idea of Putting Santana out in the outfield was a scary notion to him, but they had the—they pretty much had, had their uh, hand forced by the the uh, NL no DH rules. So now they're talking about actually playing Santana in the outfield for real. I don't—that probably could encapsulate the state of the Indians outfield there in itself. Uh, that Carlos Santana is now an outfield option potentially for the Indians. So uh, these positional developments, what are your guys' thoughts? Uh, I'll start with you this time, Justin. I don't really mind Carl Santana in the outfield. I don't think it's going to be something where you're going to see him play four days a week out there. I think they're probably trying to plan for the platoons, to be honest. If, if this is something they actually go through with, it really depends on who else makes the team, because think about it. You've got um, Naquin and Leonis Martin. And you've got Greg Allen, who I know he's a switch hitter, but historically he's been better left-handed than he has been right-handed, if memory serves. So you've got really three outfielders whose best assets are, or best offensive production is probably going to come against right-handers. Um, and then you got Jordan Luplo as well, and you got Jake Bowers who can play the outfield. So, um, and Jake Bowers is another left-hander. So I think really, I think when they th- they're thinking about Santana out there, I think you're maybe thinking about a platoon situation where um, they can get some of those left-handed bats out of the lineup because I would have to guess if they're going to sit Leonis Martin against lefties, Greg Allen's your only center field option, or and you know Naquin shouldn't be facing lefties. So then you've got what Greg Allen in center, and then if Bowers doesn't play against lefties, or he maybe plays first or DHs. You know, you've got Luplo and, and, you know, Matt Joyce against lefties. Like, I don't know how good Matt Joyce has been against lefties. I don't think it's been very good. So I think that's something where they're trying to take advantage of platoons. Um, and that's something they didn't do very well the last couple of years. You know, they were pretty left-handed heavy last year. When In, in 2016, when the Indians always had the platoon advantage, things always just worked out pretty well for them, you know, with Brandon Geyer and, and all the guys they could mix in. Uh, Austin Jackson... Um, Rajay Davis, even though you know he wasn't that great against left-handers, um, so I think it's more of a mix and match thing to see where guys go. Um, as far as Kipnis, uh, I don't think you want him back in center field. I think if anything, it'd be left field, and I think you're better. I, I really think they're better off with him at second base and Ramirez at third, just for the fact that second basemen are a lot more susceptible to injuries. You know, when you're when you're playing the pivot, you're trying to turn the double play, you've got runners bearing down on you and, and other things are happening. I think there's a lot more risk for injury at second base than there is at third base. And that, like, like Corey said, they have to have Ramirez in bubble wrap. So I think third base is probably a less physically demanding position if that exists in baseball um, for Ramirez. So, for, so I guess having Kipnis at second base probably helps that at, at the very least. What say you, Corey? You know who's an outfielder that can play four days a week oh and contribute? <laughs> I should have expected I'll... that. Okay, so 
again, all kidding aside, except I'm not. Question to both of you. How do we feel about Oscar Mercado making his debut this year? Hmm. You know, it was, it's interesting because I he was intriguing to me when they acquired him. I don't know if I necessarily thought that Connor Capel was worth giving up on. But uh, I do I did like Mercado and think he's he's an intriguing guy. But it, it's with Greg Allen on the team, it seems kind of redundant. Uh, but who knows uh, how they how they plan to uh, shake it out? Uh, but yeah, Mercado certainly lines up timeline wise to make his debut this year. I don't know if he'll be out of spring training, but I think we might see a little bit of him at some point. But yeah, well. We'll see, but he's a guy I'm definitely intrigued uh, intrigued about. I like Ricardo. I think a lot of people are high on him. Keith Law's really high on him. Uh, a lot of the Fangraphs guys are high on him, too. I think there's a real potential for him to make some noise, especially if Zimmer is on the shelf for a lot longer. Like Everything says that Zimmer's doing fine, recovering-wise. He could be back sooner than later, but he got hurt when he got sent down last year, so it wasn't like he was playing well and then got hurt. It was He got demoted and got hurt, so he's got some ways to prove he can get back on the field and then get back in the major league lineup. I don't know. I think Oscar Mercado could really sneak up on some people this year. I, I, and he I is agree right-handed. With you guys. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think he's put together a couple of good minor league seasons with both the Cardinals and the Indians organizations at high levels where he's played at adequate center field. He can steal bases. He can hit for contact. The Indians need, a, especially a right-hander, like you said. The only right-handers on the 40-man roster are – Mercado and Luplo, and then Greg Allen's a switch hitter. So if you're looking for a right-handed stick, Mercado could be that guy. And with Zimmer's health being what it is, who knows what's going to happen. Leonis Martin, man, I'm hoping but for the best for him. I hope he can come back, and I'm not asking him to make an all-star game, but be productive, you know, just so he can get out there and do something. You know, when it comes down to Santana, you know, the original question, if he can put together two days a week in the outfield and maintain production, that's, I think, best-case scenario. And I'm just thinking in my own head. Maybe one day out there, and I think Bowers will be played out there quite a bit too. Um, You know, he's not terrible out there, and we've seen teams do better with worse. Thinking of Kyle Schwarber uh, with the Cubs. Thinking of guys like that. So... I think it could work, especially if you want to work in um, Bobby Bradley at some point this season. Who knows how much he progresses, if he could be a factor later in the season. Um, depending on how much you want to play Bowers out in the outfield versus Santana. Um, he's, Francona said Kipnis will play second base. How true is that going to be? Is he going to play a little bit outfield as well? Or will the Indians actually go sign somebody? I'm not going to say the name. <laughs> or make the move mid-season, like Chris Antonetti said they were going to consider doing when he made the comments back in January. So I, I feel, I still feel like this is an incomplete thing, guys. I really do, and I really want to believe that. But it, they're making it really hard for me to believe that when it's the week of games starting in spring training and the needle has not moved between December and now. Yeah, it's... I, we've already touched on it multiple times, but I think Corey hits the point on the head. You know, the uh, since the winter meetings, the inactivity that the Indians have had. You know, they like 
we said they signed Oliver Perez, brought in some minor league uh, signings, but there really hasn't been much of anything that's been done since the winter meetings, since we were last on the air uh, uh, with the uh, Smoke Signals podcast. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of ground to cover otherwise, but not a lot of it has had to do with actual uh, transactions and signings that are uh, of major league note. So, yeah, it's... Uh, we don't. I don't want to uh, turn this over too many times than it already has been, but uh, I think that yeah, like I said, Kipnis at second base. I think for what it is, I think it's probably the best move for the team as it's constructed right now. Uh, Santana in the outfield. I'm not as thrilled by. I think he would. You need to maximize your value where you can, and his ma- value is max maximized at first base. I feel like. And, but who knows, you know, as Corey said, they, other teams have tried it with uh, players who have fared worse, you know, the Cubs and Kyle Schwarber is a great example of that. Uh, and Santana is athletic, so I'll give him that, and it's not like he would be a, a statue out there, I just don't know if it would be the best move to maximize all value for the team, so... It's again. This is the, the the wait and see time of year. So, all right. So, uh, anybody? Uh, we already talked about it. since you brought up Oscar Mercado. Before we, to, this will be a good way to tri- uh, segue into the top fifty prospect list to uh, uh, end the show here. But is there anybody in the minor league side of the discussion like Mercado who intrigues you? as far as making a, a major league impact in 2019 for the Cleveland Indians. Is there anybody in AAA or even in AA right now who you think you look at them and say, yeah, this guy could come up here and make some noise? Uh, we already mentioned Oscar Mercado. Is there anybody else who uh, uh, you get that sense from? Justin? Yeah, I think the obvious answers are probably Nick Sandlin and Henry Martinez. Um, just because obviously Henry Martinez is in major league camp, uh, for the bullpen. I think, I think the bullpen's where you're going to see most of it. I, I don't think, I mean, Yu Chang's in camp there and I, there's a possibility he plays shortstop to start the year with Lindor. If, if Lindor's out, uh, that would not be my preferred situation because I think he's not quite ready. Um, and, and, and asking him to do the short term is probably not fair to him to start the year. Um, but I think most of that's going to come from the bullpen, I would say. So I said Sandlin. I think that's an obvious for everybody because we all thought there was a chance he was going to be in Cleveland at the end of last year with how fast he moved. And Henry Martinez being in camp, I think, also helps that too. And I guess we can probably include Shi Wei Hu in there because I don't, I don't know if they're going to send the AAA as a starter, but I think they should put him in the bullpen. I think a lot of people feel like he's going to wind up in the bullpen. And I think that's obviously where they need the help. I don't. I don't know what their starting pitching depth really is going to consist of. I mean, I guess it depends on what they do with Cody Anderson as well. Um, but I don't know who they really have behind Adam Plutko as far as starting pitching depth. So maybe they have to save Chiway Hu for that. But yeah, I would say up, up and down, you're going to see a lot of bullpen guys. I would. I would venture to guess Sandlin and Henry Martinez at first blush. Okay, Corey, anybody jump out to you? So aside from the gentleman that Justin talked about, Sandler Martinez, I think, as well. Yu Chang as a 
guy that can replace Lindor temporarily as well. What about this is a name that I want to bring up to you guys. He's not going to start the season in AAA, but more likely in AA, I hope. That's John Carlos Mejia. He's on the 40-man roster right now. Um, he Since they transitioned him from uh, reliever to starter, he's done really well. Um, and not that he was a bad reliever by any stretch either, but he's done very well as a starter. He pitched some, some games in Lynchburg last year. I don't know if he's going to start in Lynchburg or Akron, but I find it intriguing that he's on the 40-man roster. Yeah, of all the uh, all the moves to add guys to the 40-man roster, that was the one that intrigued me the most. And since then, I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of buzz on him from some of the major uh, prospect publications. Some some of these uh, analysts seem pretty high on him. And... Him and uh, Sam Henkis. I don't know if that was Rule Five protection, but they're still there. Yeah, I, I definitely am intrigued by Giancarlo Mejia. Uh, he's an intriguing guy all around because of the transition from, you know, relieving to starting and how well he did with that. And now he seems to be on the major league radar, even though he hasn't even gotten the double A yet. I don't know if he makes the major league team this year at all, but he's definitely an intriguing player to follow. There is a precedence for this too. Mejia's, I think mean, Mejia's legit, and it, they both were for Rule Five purposes and. And people are high on both of them, on, on he and Henches. Um, but there is a precedent. You know, the Indians put Danny Salazar on the 40-man roster, uh, I believe, in 2011 when he was still in Carolina. It might have been needed 2010, actually. I'm trying to remember when he had Tommy John surgery. Uh, but they did it after – I think it was right after or while he was hurt. They put him on, on, on the 40-man roster, and he was all the way down in Carolina. So – the Indians have done this before, and, and, and Mejia's, I, I wouldn't say he's got sales our stuff, but he's got, he's a strike thrower who a lot of people really like and, and think that he's probably not that far away, but um, this isn't the first time they've made a move like that with a guy that far, who, who appears to be that far away, and at least in, in uh, comparison to sales are, Mejia's got a little bit better track record of help. Yet. Yeah. Two of the uh, the two starting pitchers I'm most intrigued by, probably just looking at the our top fifty list, which we'll talk about in, in a second here. Uh, I I think that uh, Giancarlo Mejia is probably one, number one or number two or one A, however you want to rank them in no particular order. The other is Luis Oviedo. I think that uh, the breakthroughs he had bursting onto the scene last year, I think that uh, he's another guy who could really uh, rounded the form this year potentially and put himself on the map uh, fully. So I think between Mejia and Oviedo, the, these are two guys who are still relative unknowns, but had great uh, performances last year and could really uh, establish their, their uh, prospect value uh, in 2019. So, um, what do you say we uh, transition into this? Well, actually, before we get to the uh, top 50 prospect rankings, uh, you mentioned Cody Anderson and Danny Salazar. Uh, just really quick, guys. Of the two of them, I know Salazar's still trying to recover from injury issues. He's thrown off of uh, flat ground, hasn't gotten off of, onto a mound yet. Uh, and then you have uh, Cody Anderson recovering from Tommy John surgery. Of those two... 
uh, quick prediction, who do you think makes a more significant impact for the Indians this year, Salazar or uh, Cody oh, Anderson? Oh, anybody, if anybody says anything other than Salazar, you're just lying to yourself. You really uh, should not be on this podcast if you say Salazar. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> flip a coin. Honestly, flip a coin. That's my take on it. I don't. I don't know. I mean, no, I don't think Salazar either. But I don't know about Anderson. Like that's such a. We haven't seen anything from them, either of them, in a while. If Danny so, Salazar throws one inning this year, it's a complete bonus. It's a very complete total bonus. Very true. I, I think Anderson's likely to throw one inning, and I don't know if Salazar is likely to even throw one. Well, both of them seem like they're lined up to be bullpen pitchers at this point. So, uh, they both have intriguing stuff. Salazar definitely has more established stuff and could be more of an impactful arm if he comes all the way back, which is way easier said than done at this point and where where he is now. Cody Anderson uh, has the kind of stuff based on what he was throwing before he had uh, Tommy John surgery. He was thrown in the upper 90s, added some velocity, and uh, that's the kind of stuff that could play up as a reliever, but, you know, he's never, that's a role he's not used to and has never really had a chance to pitch in for a long, for a long stretch of the time yet, so he's an unknown in that capacity as well. So I think between the two of them, that's an intriguing discussion, but I think we're still a long ways off from either one of them uh, making any kind of significant impact at the major league level, so... I just wanted to bring that up, and yeah, I think a coin flip, uh, Corey, might be a good uh, a good way to describe that. Uh, but I agree, also agree with Justin that I don't think that any realistic expectations can be placed on Danny Salazar at this point, as far as him coming back and uh, returning to the major league pitching staff in any capacity. Uh, I'll, uh, basically, I'll believe it when I see it at this point, which is a shame because Danny Salazar is probably, of all the pitchers on the Indian staff, he might, uh, may, other than maybe like Corey Kluber at his best or Carlos Carrasco and uh, Trevor Bauer at his best, they're the only ones who can really come close. Uh, Danny Salazar definitely has the best stuff of at, when he's on his game of anybody out there, so it's really a shame that he's fallen on such hard times. But uh, ending the podcast on a little bit of a lighter note, as you've been fo- readers have been following on the site, we have kicked off our 2019 uh, IBI Top 50 Prospects list. We're about, oh, about, what, 15 players in? And 13, 15? Yeah, we're getting there. Uh, we just posted today our Mitch Longo uh, capsule, one which I penned. And uh, you can check that out. Check out all of the... Uh, prospect rankings today we are uh as this podcast will be posting we'll be posting number 37 and uh it should it should be out there so i shouldn't be spoiling anything uh jonathan rodriguez uh outfielder who still hasn't gotten above the arizona rookie league level but is a top round draft pick from several years ago and still has a lot of potential so uh you know the guys we covered so far guys like uh uh, Brady Aiken, Gabriel Mejia, Todd Isaacs, guys who have been on this list before. Some guys are trending up, some guys are trending down. Uh, uh, Justin, you and I have been 
working on this list feverishly over the last uh, few <laughs> weeks. Uh, what are your thoughts on just the list so far, and what kind of vibe are you getting from the uh, and and themes are you are you uh, pulling from the Indian farm system overall this year? I would say just so we, what we talked about when we worked on this list together, we put it together is that a lot of the young guys they have in the system have pushed down guys that were further up last year. Like there's a lot, there's a couple of guys that were higher on our list last year and they dropped off down lower for whatever reason, whether performance or just because, um, you know, better prospects have been added to the system. So I think you can tell the system is improving um, just by who they've added in the last year. I'm just going to go take a quick look back at who we've posted so far because these are just coming fast and furious uh, the way we've been hammering the schedule. I mean, last year alone, like you would have thought, like guys like uh, Zach Plezak and, and Justin Garza and Mitch Longo even, uh, Logan Ice, Quinton Holmes, those guys were all way up the list last year. Um, you know, obviously Quinton Holmes missed pretty much all of last season. Justin Garza was hurt a lot. But like – you know, Logan Ice did not have a real good offensive year, but um, Plesak had a decent year. Uh, Mitch Longo had a decent year, even if he's, you know, sort of a tweener. Like, these are all guys that we were solid, you know, mid-tier prospects in this system last year that are, are bumped down. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm really excited to get to the top half of this list because I think there's – I think everybody would agree there are just a ton of guys in the system that are, that are at um, – the Mahoning Valley will be at the Mahoning Valley level this year in Arizona um, that are really going to be exciting. I, th- I think that's part of the reason the Indians are also positioning themselves for, for 2020 and beyond um, at the major league level too is because this group that they're going to have uh, that should be ready by 2021, 2022 could be really, really good. I think the top 20 of the system is way better than it was a year ago. Yeah, I just looking at our list right now that we have, you know, you got guys like uh, George Valera, Ethan Hankins, Bo Naylor, uh, Lenny Torres, and, uh, you know, all, all up and down the list. There, Raynell Delgado and uh, Stephen Kwan, Raymond Burgos, Junior San Quentin. There's a lot of new faces on this list, a lot of new names, but uh, that's definitely a good sign that we've been able to – see see fit to add these guys to the list and that that that's only a good thing at this point that there's so many like draft picks so many uh international signings are being added to this list because and the Indians are doing really well with on the international markets uh guys like George Valera and uh Brian Rocchio and uh and uh, Marcos Gonzalez are all making are all making our top fifty prospect rankings because uh, they're able to go out there and uh, really make a statement uh, in signing these guys on the international markets. I feel like that you know those are the kind of signings that don't get a lot don't get a lot of headlines, but uh, I promise you the Indians are killing it right now on the international market. And some of these guys, you know, like like a George Valera, you're going to start hearing more about soon and seeing what they're all about uh Corey, really quick uh we had you and i host the uh 
Farm Report podcast. Uh, any thoughts you have on the farm system heading into this season? And and I don't know if you've been following our rankings, but any thoughts on that on the guys who we've posted so far? Yeah, I, I mean, just kind of continuing with the theme. I noticed it was a lot more guys at the lower levels, basically a uh, high A through low A and Arizona level. Um, I can't believe Brady Aiken's name still is meriting something. I, I wonder what he's going to do this year, if anything. Um, but when I look at the farm system as a whole, it is guys like in double A and in high A and even that are going to break camp in Lake County um, that are going to produce very, fairly well. I, I think it's those A-ball a ball teams that are really – Teams keep the eye on, and I'm looking at last year's class with guys like Richie Palacios and Bo Naylor, and uh, you mentioned Sandlin as guys, and Robert Broom, and relievers like that um, who can make an impact. Who knows how high they can go? These are guys that can play in Akron and Double A as early as this season. That's how talented they are, and I'm not even starting to talk about guys like Luis Oviedo and Tyler Freeman, who just absolutely who absolutely balled out last year uh, with Mahoning Valley and Lake County. So, excuse me, when I see the farm system as a whole, I see a lot of good talent in those lower levels and the A-ball levels. I think that the most talented roster that's going to be fielded in the minor league system is going to be in Lake County, um, especially with Luke Carlin coming back as his second-year manager. I don't know if Tyler Freeman would start there. I don't know if Richie Palacios would start there. But if both did, that would be pretty insane. Any team that has Tyler Freeman on it, and I'm biased because I saw him and got to know him last year, is going to be very good. And um, I suspect he'll be very high up on our rankings as well. Um, He hasn't been revealed yet, so he's certainly within the top 37 or whatever it may be. But I see a lot of good relief help if there is one thing they're doing well, it's that they're stocking up for that future and that 2020 and beyond. So I believe that they have the idea down that if they're going to have this quasi retooling while still contending for a world series, they're doing at least the retooling part, right within the prospect realm. But you know, we've talked, we've talked earlier about what they're doing on the major league level and whether that's, comparable to what the other powerhouses in the American League are doing. But, yeah, I'm fine with the status of the farm system and where it's at now. I'm really excited to see what the rest of our, at least our rankings, um, bring forward with with some of these younger names that can be easily mentioned. Well, you can be sure to follow the uh, prospect rankings all throughout the rest of spring training and heading into the first week of the season leading up to minor league opening day. Uh, when we reveal our top prospect of 2019, right? I think it's either the day before or the day of uh, minor league opening day, if memory serves. So uh, be sure to follow those. Two, a couple of days before, okay. So be sure to follow those. They will be posting at Monday through Saturday will be our uh, rankings postings. And then on Sunday, you'll get to see our cutting room floor uh capsules which will feature every Sunday two players who just missed the cut of our uh top 50 rankings and we've had some a couple we've had four interesting players uh profiled so far on that on that list uh you know guys like Juan Hillman, Eric Stamets, uh Yanir Diaz and Robert Broom all on the cutting room floor so far. We got uh many more to 
profile uh, as the season, as the uh, uh, spring training wears on, and you can check that out every Sunday. So we've got tons of uh, prospect-related content coming your way as far as countdowns and things like that. We'll have season previews when uh, the uh, minor league rosters get announced at uh, some point in the later later portion of spring training, and then we'll start getting into uh, the actual minor league season not too long after that, so it's very exciting. Uh, well, gentlemen, I tell you what, we've uh, covered a lot of ground. We've had a, covered a lot of time to, uh, tonight. We've had to do uh, over probably a little over an hour and a half, but I hope the people are, are still with us, and those who are, uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, we're ready to kick off another season of, of podcasting uh, content here at the site. Uh I will say that, uh, again, even with the roll shakeup, there will see, still be regular smoke signals and Farm Report podcasts throughout the course of the season. Corey and I uh, are very excited to uh, continue our uh, our Farm Report podcasting schedule. We'll announce how all, all those uh, dates and uh, times when, when the uh, season gets closer. But uh, in the meantime, though, gentlemen, is there anything uh, you guys want to plug really quick? Justin? Uh, yeah, definitely the uh, prospect countdown. We're hard at work on that. You can also check out um, two of our, or two, one of our new writers, Gavin Potter. You can uh, check his Indian season preview articles out coming out, and and along with Adam Shable, who's our main Indians writer, uh, they're doing the um, Indians player capsules. Those are coming out Monday through Saturday. In addition to the prospect capsules that Jake and I are doing. And uh, sometime before the end of uh, February, depending on the schedule, I've also got a piece in the works to take a look at some of the uh, Indians players last year who took some steps forward and some who took some steps back to see if um, some of those guys can continue their steps forward or if they can rebound. I'm going to kind of a progression or regression kind of look at, at a couple of guys who made gains and had some losses in specific areas to see. Uh, what they'll take away or what they'll improve upon from 2018. All right, sounds good. We'll be on the lookout for that. And yeah, again, please be, keep on following the uh, the prospect countdown because we put in a lot of hard work, a lot of time and effort goes into that, putting those capsules together, a lot of research, a lot of uh, digging through the scouting reports and the stats and everything like that. So uh, be sure to give those a read, share them as well. Uh, we we definitely appreciate it. Uh, Corey, what about you? Um, those listeners that are in the Youngstown area, uh, my latest profile should be up now. Uh, I'm working on a restaurant series for the Vindicator, doing a video package and producing a piece for the paper. Um, and Wednesday's edition, and it'll be on Vindy.com as well. Um, I went to Aquapazzo in Boardman. F- great Italian restaurant. High-quality food, high-quality product, good wine, certainly. Um, and I spoke to Tom Zidian, the CEO and owner there. So uh, go check out that piece. And, uh, yeah, I've been kind of spinning the wheels on a lot of news pieces and sports pieces with the Vindicators. So most of my work has been deferred to them. Uh, but I'm still Jake, – Jake brought it up. We're doing Farm Report pretty darn soon here, and I'm – thrilled for that i love talking prospects so i'm looking forward to that once we cook that back up but i'm um, good to be back talking baseball in general with you guys I'm, I'm really thrilled that the season's around as always and um now we get to really get cooking here with the season 
Yeah, sounds good. I'm excited. You know, we're not we we might have tempered expectations this year, but it always is fun to talk baseball, and I couldn't imagine uh, doing it uh, in any other forum. Talking with you guys here on the farm or on the Smoke Signals podcast, and also on the Farm Report with with Corey, and I'm sure we'll probably get Justin involved too uh, on on occasion because he's got some good prospect uh, insight and expertise as well. So, uh, yeah, watch out for all that stuff. Uh, as for me, my plugs, just the just the uh, uh, prospect countdown. That's pretty much taking up most of my writing free time right now. So, uh, and then also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Justin's at JL underscore Baseball. And Corey's at CD Kristen on Twitter. So, uh, you can get us all there. Uh, chat us up for any kind of uh, baseball talk or any kind of questions you have about prospects or anything like that we'll be happy to answer them and to the best of our knowledge so uh until next time though uh for justin lada and Corey christen i am jake dungan and this is the smoke signals podcast and we say to you have a good one for questions and comments you can email us at smoke signals at indiansbaseballinsider.com also be sure to follow us on twitter at smoke signals ibi where you can find links to all our shows, as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.